1: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and today I'm joined with Joy Owens, who's the education manager for the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. Hello, Joy.
0: Hi, Chris. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, and thank you so much for agreeing to to come on the show and talk to our listeners about the work you're doing with elephants. If anybody that listens to the show knows elephants are my babies. I mean, th- that is the species I love the most. They are just phenomenal. And I've got to be honest with you up front, Joy. When I started looking at web cameras way back when, I used to watch the elephant sanctuary daily in my office. I just had it up on my computer. And I know it's still there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We still have many people who watch the elephant cameras daily, so you're you're not alone in that history.
1: Oh, it was, it was so fun. I used to watch, you know, driving out, feeding the elephants and it was just, it's kind of cathartic, you know, sitting there in a dry, dusty office. <laughs> so we'll get to it though. We'll get to the elephant cams because it's one of the things I want to talk about today. But, you know, for our listeners, if you can just kind of give us your background, your interest in conservation and wildlife, you know, when did it begin?
0: yeah, so um I'm kind of in a unique position um, that working for the elephant sanctuary is really my first foray into wildlife conservation specifically. So I've always been interested in topics of um, sustainability and environmental um, issues more generally. I was that kid who asked for uh, solar panels for my sixteenth birthday instead of a car, and my parents said no, but, um, I, you know, always wanted, I yeah, always wanted to pursue something um, in a sustainability related field. Um, went to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, and studied sustainability science there. That was my major. Um, and I've always also been interested in education as well. Um, knew I did not want to be a classroom teacher. Um, I do not have that particular skill set but knew I wanted to be working with people to, you know, share what I was passionate about. So uh, my background has actually been more focused in sustainable agriculture um, and kind of history education. Uh, And that's what I was doing before the Elephant Sanctuary, Uh, but was looking to make a change um, around two years ago now and saw this, uh, this job listing online and at first thought it wasn't real because, you know, elephants yes. in Tennessee, <laughs> yeah. that just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't no. completely make sense on its face. Um, but once I, you know, like did a little research and I was like, oh, wow, this is legit, um, I definitely wanted to be a part of it.
1: That is amazing. And so you see this advertisement and you apply and obviously you get the job. So can you kind of talk us through what you do as the education manager there?
0: Sure. So, um The education department, I guess, at the Elephant Sanctuary is three people. And so all of us really work as a team to, um, you know, implement and oversee the the education programs that are, you know, already in existence and are going really strong, but then also to develop new ones. Um, So we're always looking like, what's the next step? What's the next program we can implement to reach more people? So my day-to-day is probably about 50% actually implementing those programs, whether that be, you know, doing a distance learning call or leading a field trip or going into a school to speak. And then, you know, 50% is behind the scenes, whether that be like evaluating an existing program, um, whether that be researching new curriculum or new programs I want to try out or networking, you know, with our local school teachers. So um, I do kind of a little bit of everything that's involved in implementing educational programming.
1: Okay. So uh, just for our listeners, so here you are, you're a sanctuary and that has a, a lot of different connotations to it. We, uh, we've been, actually interviewed somebody from a tiger sanctuary in North Carolina and you know, you're kind of the, I guess here's a question, but I know I kind of ask it down below, Sure. Uh, but maybe here. So like, it's just, I guess what the point I'm trying to get at is it's amazing that you're doing outreach from a sanctuary. Like that is an amazing program that that you're doing. So I don't want that to get lost in this interview. So if you could just kind of describe the mission of the elephant sanctuary, and then we can kind of come back to some of this stuff that you're doing. Like that's, that's incredible. Like that's really incredible.
0: Yeah, sure. So the mission of the elephant sanctuary is to provide lifelong individualized care for the elephants that come to live with us. Uh, They generally come from zoos and circuses around North America. And so that's like the first part of our mission. And then the second part is to educate the public about the needs of captive elephants and the crisis facing elephants in the wild. And I think the reason a lot of people think that's really unique or maybe just a little out there is because the sanctuary is actually closed to the public so um, no one is coming to the physical sanctuary grounds to the elephant habitats to see the elephants in in person so all of our education and all of our outreach starts with that base level hey we want to talk to you about elephants but no you don't get to come see them Um, so that's (laughs) that's always where we start from which is um, definitely challenging but also just like a really fun premise to get people on board with.
1: Right. So, you know, so you are, we're going to talk about the elephants here in a minute, but you know, you are housing those elephants, both African and Asian, and you are taking care of them. So now, you know, now you're doing outreach and you're going out and educating the masses, which is just amazing. So can you just kind of talk about some of your more successful outreach programs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our most successful and probably our longest uh, in existence is our distance learning program. Um, so distance learning is where we use Skype or, or some kind of other video conferencing platform to connect with students, community groups, basically any interested audience anywhere in the world. Uh, we Skype into wherever they are. Um, talk to them for 45 minutes to an hour, um, all about you know elephants as a species, but also what we do specifically at the sanctuary. Um, so just to give you an idea of of how big that program is, last year we talked to over 11,000 uh, people in 40 states and 18 mm-hmm. countries. I want to say um, so it really is a global program that you know, we can be talking to Poland one minute and uh, Massachusetts the next. <laughs> so that's been an incredible, yeah. <laughs> Literally today I was on a phone with fifth graders in Massachusetts and then um, high schoolers in Columbia like the next hour. So it's just kind of like mind boggling to make those transitions. Um, so that's definitely by far our most successful program if you're strictly talking about numbers mm-hmm. reached. Um, another really successful program I always like to highlight is our Ellie ambassador program. So like I said, the education team at the sanctuary is just three people. And, you know, we also have lots of other responsibilities besides strictly just doing education. So, um, we just don't have the manpower to go all over the United States talking about, you know, the sanctuary. Um, so we have trained volunteers called Ellie ambassadors who, um, you know, get training from us about what the sanctuary is, what our mission is, what our values are. And then they are actually the boots on the ground going into their communities, speaking at, you know, the county fair or the local Rotary Club or their school or whatever it is. Um, so they can be that face-to-face personal connection for the sanctuary without me having to fly all over the country seven days a week.
1: Right, which is really expensive. <laughs> so
0: yes, at least it technology just be...
1: today, you, yeah, yeah.
0: It would be crazy expensive and totally unrealistic, but, you know, there are a lot of situations where that, like, face-to-face encounter with a person can be really valuable. So distance learning has one value because, you know, technology removes the barrier to entry for a lot of people, but in other circumstances, you really do want that person-to-person connection. So LA Ambassadors are kind of that puzzle piece of our outreach.
1: It's still amazing. I mean, it's amazing that this is coming from a sanctuary. I mean, it's just it really makes me smile and my heart warm that you do that. Just really quickly, the interview that we did was with Carolina Tiger Rescue with Katie Cannon. And and so they don't have really the resources to do outreach like you. But my my Mm -hmm. question popped into my head because elephants are just so charismatic. I mean, we call them charismatic megafauna. I've been in love with them since I was a child, you know, it's always been my love. Do you find that it's easy to talk about this environmental crisis we're in right now using elephants as an example, like, Hey, here's about elephants, but this is what's going on around the world.
0: Yeah, we do. Um, it's always interesting to see like what people connect with and, and what they, what creates that spark for them and you're absolutely right. Like elephants are a really great way to do that because they are so charismatic. People see, I think a lot of themselves in elephants. There's, you know, a lot of these connections to be made between their behavior and our behavior. And um, so they're a really great. In point into like, now that I've hooked you <laughs> with these really powerful mm-hmm. stories about elephants, let's talk about some larger issues. And I find that people, can be a little more open to hearing that message when you've kind of made that personal connection with them on the front end using the story of you know billy the elephant at the sanctuary or surely the
1: elephant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no it's true and it just captures you know especially you're talking to a lot of students and those ages are so impressionable and you know it's, it's important That, you know, and they haven't, I guess, been coined yet, but you know, Angie's son and my partner, she asked him, he's six and she said, what should we call this generation? And he said, we should call this generation the nature generation or the conservation generation or what I would like to say, the green generation. This is the. The generation that actually cares and is listening, whereas some of the older folks don't quite care, you know, <laughs> to remain unnamed on yeah. this podcast. But yeah. Sure, sure. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you see that in, in the kids you talk to? Like they're just interested in conservation and, you know, not just wildlife, but, you know, kind of what's going on around the globe?
0: Yeah. I, I, we definitely do. Um, we see they're just asking tougher questions and they're t- asking questions that clearly indicate like they're way more aware of what's, you know, going on than we might give them credit for. Um, I always just my favorite example is, you know, again, we're sanctuary, we're close to the public and the elephants have free choice. And even with our Ellie cams, we can't guarantee elephants are on camera and kids get that. They get that immediately. They're like, oh, you know, Shirley wanted to be inside today. She's not on camera. I get that. I'm going to move on, but I still want to hear her story, and I still want to hear what you have to say. And it's always the teachers in the classroom who are like, but, like, can you just make her come out on camera? Like, can you just ask her? And it's like, that's not the point. And I think that speaks to, you know, just the larger attitude of this generation where they really care more about the content and the issues and what's going on and less about, you know, what do I need? Me, me, me. I want to see, I want to do whatever.
1: So joy is an amazing point about the young generation. I totally agree. And just, you know, that we're in this biodiversity crisis around the world and especially, you know, the crisis facing elephants, both Asian and African. So, you know, you do a lot of outreach. Do you, ha- I mean, doing this work, do you have any ideas how we can, Try to reach more people, you know, with this message.
0: I think what distance learning has shown us is that the biggest thing you can do is remove that barrier to entry. So um, all distance learning takes is, you know, an Internet connection and we can talk to you. And that has proven invaluable in reaching people all over the world and we've reached more people through that program than we could ever possibly hope to reach in person. Um, you know, we're talking to people in Vietnam, India, Africa, all over the place. And I just don't know if there's any way we could have done that without, um, this distance learning program. Well, let me back up. I'm sure there are other ways to reach those people, but having, um, the the one-to-one connection being able to actually speak to them in real time has been invaluable and making it so that it doesn't cost anything and that it is open to everyone um i think has been part of its success so i think that's one of the biggest things we can do is um you know make it easily accessible in any way we can to to different audiences
1: no it's very true and you think of it like this you know you you're, you're reaching what 11,000 people per year and those people talk to other people. So it's like a ripple in a pond. You, yeah. know, you start that, that ball rolling and, and spreading knowledge. It's just, uh, it's just admirable. So, yeah, I guess I'd love to start talking about the elephant sanctuary because, you know, again, I've been following you for a decade and love the work that's going on there. How many current elephants are you currently caring for there?
0: So, we currently have 11 elephants. We have seven Asian and four African.
1: Okay. And what are the age ranges of them? They go.
0: So, our youngest is Sukari. She's 36. Our oldest is Shirley. She's 71. Wow. Um, And everyone else kind of falls in between, though we do have a lot of um, elephants in their like upper 40s and 50s. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Now, one of the things I think, especially talking to sanctuaries, is the cost. I mean, it is so expensive to house animals like, you know, an elephant that, that eats so much and requires vet care and all the work that you do with them. Do you guys have an estimate, like how much each elephant costs per year to care for?
0: I was trying to track this number down and I got like (laughs) a million different answers because of course they're all, they all have different needs and like one elephant might be more Mm -hmm. expensive than another, but Um, Mm -hmm. Our budget is $5.5 million a year. That's total operating budget. Um, We estimate that it costs $50 a day just to feed a single elephant, but that doesn't include all of their veterinary care, their husbandry care, their facilities, like everything else that goes into um, caring for these elephants. So, it's definitely expensive. That's what I always tell, um, you know, the cheeky student who asks me if they can keep an elephant as a pet. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> like, Do bad you idea. have
0: millions of dollars? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bad idea. It's just it's so expensive to to care for these animals well, which, you know, your sanctuary definitely is. It's AZA accredited. It's inspected. These elephants are taken care of immensely well um, from everything I know and it, 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 and they just look healthy and happy. So, and how many acres do you have? In yeah, there? definitely. Yeah.
0: We have 2,700 acres.
1: Right, right. And they pretty much get free roam, right? I mean, I know that's fencing and stuff to kind of keep them in there, but. Yeah, more or less
0: they get free rain, So I will say we do have three separate habitats at, the sanctuary. So that 2,700 acres is divided into three separate habitats. And we house different groups of elephants in each of those habitats based on their species, based on their needs. Um, but within there, I mean, they get freedom of choice of who they spend their time with, where they spend their time. And um, yeah, so that's a big part of, of the sanctuary as well, is that freedom of choice.
1: Right. And where where do these elephants come from? You know, do you have some of the individual histories on them?
0: Oh yeah, so we get a, a huge file folder with each of them, with all of their histories. Mm-hmm. So we know a lot about these girls. Luckily, um, they come from all over North America, um, all from you know zoos, circuses, um, those types of, of captivity around North America. Um, all of their histories are, are really different, so it's hard to say like a typical history for a sanctuary elephant. So I'll just tell you the story of my favorite <laughs> elephant. <laughs> even though I think I'm not supposed to have favorites.
1: <laughs> no, um, we all do. We all do. It's okay. It's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, my favorite is Shirley. Um, Shirley is our 71-year-old elephant. Um, she was born in the wild, like all of our current residents. She was born in Sumatra in 1948. She was captured, we think, when she was around four years old and spent the next 20-plus years in a circus. So she was traveling all over North America. She traveled all up and down the Eastern seaboard. So from Cuba all the way to Canada, mm-hmm. um, she ended her circus career because she broke her back right leg mm-hmm. in some incident with another elephant, we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leg never healed properly. So that was kind of, you know, the end of her circus days. Mm-hmm. So that from there, she went to a very small zoo in Louisiana the Louisiana Purchase Zoo and Gardens, they stepped up and said, you know, we'll give Shirley a home. Um, She was beloved at that zoo. We still have people who drive up from Louisiana and say, you know, I remember Shirley. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing her as a kid. I know I can't see her now, but I just like want to be in the same place as her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she spent a long time in that zoo as well. She was the only elephant there. They didn't have room to house her with someone else. And they were also concerned about you know, with her injury, would she be able to be around other elephants? Mm-hmm. Um, but they sent her to us in 1999, and she's been with us ever since and has just always, I think, impressed all of us with her resilience mm-hmm. and with her willingness to trust other elephants and to trust new caregivers. Um, so she's she's really incredible, and I'm just never not inspired uh, <laughs> by Miss Shirley.
1: And how's she doing today? Pretty good?
0: I mean, for 71, she is yeah, rocking yeah. it. Um, our vet always talks about, like, knock on wood, Shirley is one of the healthiest elephants here. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. she has, you know, a lot of those aging-related issues. She's got arthritis. She's losing some of her eyesight and losing some of her her hearing, we think. Um, she's definitely slowed down just as far as like just her physical movement has slowed down, but she still gets all over the habitat. She is still walking and moving. She's just not, you know, just hang out in the barn. She is like, I want to go to the lake today. And then I want to go to, you know, the big field the next day. So, um, remarkably well for, for a 71 year old elephant.
1: No. And the point you made about people still driving up there from Louisiana is amazing. It's just, I think for me personally, it kind of shows the value of accredited zoos and stuff where people can actually form a a bond with animals. And, you know, I think it's important for the education aspect, you know, and we'll get into that here in a minute, but, you know, it's just, uh, just, uh, you're so lucky. (laughs) get to work with them or see them every day and stuff like that. Sorry. Are are you guys anticipating getting any more elephants? Like, I guess what would be the, the carrying capacity of the, uh, the sanctuary?
0: We get that question all the time. Like what's our limit? How many elephants could we hold? And the, the God's honest answer is we don't know. Um, there is not, of course, you know, a perfect math formula that says 2,700 acres in Tennessee equals this many elephants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we have had more. We, I think the max number we had at a time, like the highest number we had at a time was 17. Um, But, of course, that means more food, more staff, more everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So we definitely have space. We could take another elephant tomorrow if that was, you know, offered to us. But generally, like, getting a new elephant to sanctuary is a very long process, a lot of back and forth. So we're always in discussion with elephant owners and, and open to having that discussion if someone's thinking about retiring an elephant to the sanctuary, but we don't have any specific plans for like a specific elephant at this time.
1: I, this just popped into my head and I don't know if you have the answer, but do you know how many elephants are actually privately held in the United States? I, I know there's not a huge population, like oh. what three or 400, but how many of those are like personal quote unquote pets? I mean, it's really not. A yeah. I, you know, don't know. You know, I
0: don't know. I don't know how many are privately held anymore. Um, that's something that's a really interesting question I'd have to
1: look yeah. into. Yeah. I'd have to look at that too. Cause I just, it just popped in my head and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, outside of zoos or credited zoos, you know, I know, I know of, of a place in Florida that has a few elephants that are privately held. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm just curious to see if that's, you know, rampant throughout the world or something, but something I'll, I'll look up and try to get back to our listeners on. Cause, uh, it's very interesting uh, to me now. You work in this education field, and you're talking about elephants twenty four seven. What, in your opinion, you know, we're, we're talking about you know the poaching crisis in Africa with the African elephants, and it depends on the country that you're in. Uh, some they're they're in deep deep trouble, like the forest elephant, or doing okay in like Botswana and some other parts. And then you go to Asia, and you have a shrinking habitat where the Asian elephants mm-hmm. are in dire dire straits. So, you know, doing your research, talking to people, what are some of the ideas that maybe you've come up with? Like, okay, this is some of the strategies we need to do to to help elephants in the wild and preserve them.
0: So I think the first thing I would say is, like, we at the sanctuary are very aware that our expertise, if you will, is captive elephants. Mm-hmm. And so our main strategy, if you will, is to support the people who are already doing that work um, and uplifting those people and helping and those people who are already working in range countries because, you know, it'd be like us trying to reinvent the wheel, trying to figure that out. We're of course always trying to stay educated on the latest strategies and the, and the issues facing elephants, but we really want to point people towards our international partners who are already doing incredible work in those countries to, um, you know, combat the, the crisis facing elephants. And I will say it's probably going to be a patchwork of a lot of strategies is that are going to, you know, prevent the extinction of elephants. It's definitely not a, a one size fits all solution like most, you know, big complicated problems that face the world today. Um, as far as like, if we want to get into specifics, I can talk about like, you know, some of the partners we support specifically um, and, and kind of what they're doing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That would be, that would be fascinating to to see the, cause I think the the two things that I take out of that is the knowledge that you're generating on maintaining them under human care, because that is an incredible challenge with a a large herbivore or the largest mammal land mammal, uh, the elephant. But then the second is that, you you know, you're spreading that knowledge to the folks out there and, you know, protect them in the wild. Does that get that right? Yeah,
0: I think our philosophy has always been um, we are really good at at caring for aging captive elephants. That's what we've been doing for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And we are happy to share knowledge, not only with people trying to protect elephants in the wild, but, you know, other um, facilities holding elephants. We are always trying to create those networks and create those partnerships. Um, but and by the same token, we're also always trying to learn from other people. So learning from our partners who are on the ground working in Africa or Asia, like what is the crisis and what are the solutions that's, that are actually working? Um, it's much more helpful to talk to someone, you know, working in Namibia or Botswana or somewhere on the ground and say, what are you actually seeing? Like what's actually working What's not actually working so that when we, you know, mobilize our supporters we have a we're very blessed to have an incredible support base when we mobilize them we want to point them in the right direction that you know this is what's actually working these are the voices you should be listening to these are the organizations you should be you should be supporting Um, because i think that is going to be a lot more impactful than just like these broad sweeping link, well, just don't buy ivory and just, mm-hmm. you know, recycle more. <laughs> yeah. um, I think giving people, you know, specific actions they can take and specific resources they can connect with is a lot more useful.
1: Yeah, impactful, impactful. And you're right, it is, you know, going back to your previous answer, it, it, it is very complex and not just elephants, but in any species, you know, coming up with a conservation plan and you know it, it ideally yeah we would just love to leave the animals in the wild and that would be great and we could observe them you know from the back of a truck or something like that but the reality is you know like especially in asia there's no work for these elephants to go there's there's just no habitats left things like that so it's 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 a multi-pronged strategy what you know, some of the, I guess some of the truths or myths. So well, I guess I start with some of the myths. What are some of the myths that people might have on, you know, housing elephants under human care?
0: I think when I think of myths, I think of the people who walk into the door of our elephant discovery center and have all these preconceived notions, usually it's specifically about what the sanctuary is. Um, so we get a lot of so you just let them out out there on the land and you just let them all together and they just figure it out. And it's like, no, that is not what happens at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there is a whole other side to this. That is a lot of, you know, time and effort into maintaining their habitats and maintaining their health and managing their social groupings. And, um, it's not just, you know, throw everybody out there in 2,700 acres and see what happens. Um, Specifically, we get a lot of, well, Asian and African elephants are basically just the same, so you can keep them together and treat them exactly the same. Or um, my favorite is all elephants get along, which, of course, we have seen at the sanctuary, that not be true at all. Um, So a lot of, I think, the myths we get are just, are not so much myths as people misunderstanding, like, what actually all goes into managing elephants in captivity.
1: Right, right. And I guess I, here's the elephant in the room, you know, <laughs> per se. And, and that's just, you know, housing elephants under human care or in captivity and, and people, you know, there, there are people out there protesting that elephants shouldn't be held. They should just be left in the wild. And, and like I said earlier, I think that's ideal. You know, if, and if everything being equal and they had a habitat that was sustainable, that we could li- leave them to their natural behaviors and stuff like that uh, out in the wild, but you know what zoos are doing today, accredited zoos are doing today for conservation. And I, and I, again, I've been involved a little bit in some research in trying to understand elephants better, so we can help them not only under human care but also in the wild. So I guess my question is, you know, where does the sanctuary kind of stand on housing elephants under human care? Because I'm sure that's something you, you've questions you field all the time. Like, why do we ho- have them? Why don't we just leave them out in the wild?
0: Yeah. Or we get a lot. Um, well, why can't you just put your elephants back in the wild? Like why can't we just take the elephants that are at the sanctuary and put them back in the wild? Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, this will be a long answer, but I'll start okay. with, um, you know, the sanctuary I think where we stand is we recognize and we openly acknowledge limitations of keeping elephants in captivity, Um, even the sanctuary, even 2,700 acres, is not the same as tens of thousands of acres for a wild elephant. Now, whether or not that still actually exists for all wild elephants, that's a, you know, I think we can see that that, you know, is not available for all wild elephants currently. But that's where we always start from is like captivity at its core is not The same as the wild. And of course, that's true for any animal. But we I think we see that so strongly specifically for elephants, because a lot of what we deal with at the sanctuary and a lot of what we learn from our elephants has to do with captivity related issues. So we are dealing with elephants with stereotypic behaviors and other behavioral issues. We're dealing with elephants with severe arthritis and um elephants with tuberculosis and mm-hmm. all of these things that's come specifically out of keeping elephants in captivity. Um, and so that's why so much of our focus is, and, and so much of our knowledge is around those issues specifically. Um, we also, you know, I will say the sanctuary really focuses a lot of our efforts as far as like, who do we partner with and who do we support internationally? It is people um, working to preserve those wild spaces, so um, that's where we put a lot of our emphasis. Um, because I think you know our viewpoint is the extinction. The extinction of elephants is not going to happen in a bubble. So you know, it's not just that we're helping elephants in the wild. Like there's these whole habitats and these whole ecosystems that they are a part of. And so I know, you know, some people think there is the viewpoint that, well, there's, there's just no space left in the wild and um, maybe that's a lost cause, but I always think about like those are whole other ecosystems that these, these elephants are a part of. And so working to, to preserve the space for them is also working to preserve the space for, you know, countless other organisms.
1: It, it is. And, you know, as a, a flagship species, they, Elephants are just uh, so critical to any ecosystem that they live in. And, you know, kind of Angie and our our stance with the podcast, and, you know, we're not being paid by any zoos. Uh, you know, they don't give us any money. We're scientists. You know, we we gather facts, and then we let our opinions bleed in every now and then, sometimes a lot, you know, depending on issues. <laughs> but, you know, we're of the belief that accredited zoos, AZA accredited zoos in the United States and then zoos throughout the world. Uh, I don't know why the lay pig zoo just comes into my mind, and the work they're doing in Vietnam for primates. I mean, there's many, many examples of their work in conservation. So, you know, if we didn't have elephants in captivity and we were learning about them, I think that's the big thing, right? So what are some of the, I guess my next question would be, what are some of the impactful things that you're learning about housing these elephants? Because, You're dealing with difficult cases, not something young, vibrant, that doesn't need a ton of vet care, things like that, but you're actually dealing with animals that need a lot of special attention. Is that true?
0: Uh, Yeah. I would say um, we are dealing with, you know, I don't want it to, let me back up, I don't want it to come across as if like all of our elephants are these, uh, you know, dire cases where they're all experiencing these major health issues. Of course not, but we are dealing with a mostly geriatric population of elephants. Um, We're dealing with elephants who have come from wildly varying backgrounds of care before coming to sanctuary. And so, yeah, we, I mean, we have a full-time vet staff. We have, um, you know, a vet tech who's on grounds five days a week, a vet that's on ground five days a week and a, and another vet just in case that wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, the sanctuary is unique in that sense and that a lot again, a lot of what we learn from these elephants is really about their their geriatric care and what that means and what does it mean to care for an aging elephant with tuberculosis and osteomyelitis and osteoarthritis and all these other things.
1: Right. I mean it's just you're like the gold standard. I mean it's it's for what you do for these animals, any sanctuary. That uh, houses any type of animal, it, it's they should follow your lead because I mean, like to say in the beginning, I said you're AZA accredited, and that means you're beholden to a whole bunch of regulation, right? That you know you have mm-hmm. to house them a certain way, care for them a certain way, it, you know, humanely. All these things that are on top of legal obligations that under our law here in the United States you're obligated to do for these animals. So I I don't know if you can address that or not, but, you know, it's a high standard. You have a high standard of care for these elephants.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we are AZA accredited. We're also um, accredited or we're AZA certified, I think is the correct terminology. But we're um, accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries as well. So Mm -hmm. that's an organization that sets um, a totally different set of standards specifically for um, animal sanctuaries, places that want to use that that sanctuary title in their name. So we do. We always say we are accountable to a lot of different people: GFATS and AZA, but also the USDA, the mm-hmm. Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, OSHA, TOSHA, all of the acronyms under the sun. Um, and of course, we're not shy about that. We're we're happy to talk about that because we think it also just like AZA offers zoos legitimacy. I think that all of those people were accountable to also offer us legitimacy. And and what I'll say is the sanctuary does have a a large support base, but we also have lots of eyes on us, just like anyone, I think, caring for captive animals does these days. And so um, that's a whole other layer of accountability is the amount of people who are, you know, scrutinizing what we do with these elephants.
1: Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, and a lot of this is voluntary, you know, these are voluntary standards that you meet and, you know, some of them are legal, but some of the other ones aren't. So again, you know, when you're looking at, or for our listening audience, you know, you hear of an animal sanctuary, you know, look, look at them and investigate them a little bit because, you know, the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee is what all animal sanctuaries should, should strive to be. And of course it costs a lot of money to do that. But you do. Sounds like you do have the support um, to do that. We'll, we'll get to more of that in a second. So, so what are some of the concerns? I guess that you feel from the public on the elephants being cared there.
0: Hmm. I would say the the biggest concern is naturally we can't see what you're doing. You know, we can't see the sanctuary itself. So they just want to They just ask lots of questions. Okay, if I can't see them, like. I want to know very specifically what you're doing to care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but that's always kind of one of the most fun things to talk about too is to talk about how foot care and um, radiographs and and how do you get a ten thousand pound animal to participate in all of this <laughs> stuff. And so that opportunity to talk about our protected contact training and our positive reinforcement training always ends up being a really fun conversation to have with visitors, but I think it does start from a place of like, well, I just want to know like what goes on there, which I think is a natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you hear like, oh yeah, the sanctuary is just for the elephants, you know, it's close to the public. There is of course going to be that follow-up question. Why, why can't I see the elephants? And then, okay, so what goes on there?
1: No, it, 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 yeah, that's a good question that they would ask. But again, I, you know, for any of our listeners that are wondering, I mean, I would just point to the standards that, you're, you're held to and the inspections that you go under all the time. So ensuring these animals are well cared for, uh, it's phenomenal. It's fun. The work you do and they can see, right. We can talk about the webcams. (laughs) You you do have the webcams. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we do still have our LE cams up. Um, Those are 13 cameras that are placed throughout the elephant habitats. um, And we stream Those who are our website, elephants.com, we pick three cameras because it would just be an incredible amount of data to stream all 13 at once. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, there's usually not elephants on all 13 cameras at the same time, but that is our way to, to let people in. You know, if you want to see the elephants, quote unquote, see them, you can go to elephants.com and take a peek inside their habitat and, and see what they're up to. Um, We're also really clear, especially like when we're on a distance learning call that the elephants do have freedom of choice and the cameras don't cover all 2,700 acres. So we can't uh, call them onto camera at any given moment, but um, you know, any given day of the week, you're going to be able to see some elephants out there doing whatever elephants
1: want to do at the sanctuary. <laughs> right. So can you just kind of describe a, a, a day in the life of an elephant at the sanctuary? You know, what it kind of looks like for them?
0: Man, um, it's, it's different every day, of course, and it's mm-hmm. not super typical. But um, generally, you know, it starts with the elephant or the caregivers, I should say, have to tracked out where the elephant is. Because often they're especially in the in the warmer months of the year the year, they're moving overnight. They're traveling throughout the habitat. So where you dropped dinner for them the night before is not necessarily where they're gonna be the next morning. Um so for the elephants, I think if you ask them what their typical day is like, it's like, well, you know, I get to move about the habitat and go mud and go mm-hmm. spar with flora or I get to go take a nap in the in the But for the caregiver's point of view, a lot of their job is to, of course, prepare for the elephants, prepare their diets, um, you know, keep track of their medications and supplements. Um, And then a very small portion of the elephant's day at the sanctuary is that training we do with them. Um, And all of the training we're doing with our elephants, the goal is is their health care. So, you know, we're training them to present their feet for foot care. We're training them to do tusk and foot radiographs or um, blood draws or vaccinations, all of that, we're training them to do that in a protected contact, positive reinforcement system. So, you know, all of it is voluntary on their part. At any point, if they decide they're tired of training or they're bored or they just wanna walk away, they can do that. And I would say that probably takes 15 to 30 minutes of their day, and it all depends, you know, on the elephant's mood on any given day.
1: Right. Right. And I just want to underline that, that, you know, the training you do is so you can get eyes on them and inspect them and make sure they're healthy. And then when the vet needs to come and check on them and that's all stuff that's critical to their day-to-day care. So, you know, excellent husbandry practices, right? So, Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'll say our, our vets come every single week and in our part of that daily training, because, um, we're very lucky that our vets have 11 patients and it's our 11 elephants um, so they're also part of that day-to-day husbandry care so that when they have to come in for a more emergency situation, the elephant already knows them. It's not a new person. Um, so it makes it a lot less stressful for all the people and elephants involved.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, very important, very important point. So I, I guess this is kind of a random question that popped in my head. You talked about feeding them out every day. Can you kind of talk about what you feed them and then do they browse around the the sanctuary? You know some of the native plants to Tennessee?
0: Yeah, so they browse and forage all over the habitat. Um and so especially like the summer months what we're feeding them is very small. Um cuz you know that's another thing is it's we are keeping track of their diets and their weights and their overall kind of physical health as far as, you know, muscle mass and things like that. So, um, a lot of what we feed them is, um, hay, um, fresh produce. Um, we use Missouri at the sanctuary, but again, that's all dependent on the elephant. So, um, some of them might get very little of that. Some of them might get more just depending on their weight and their overall body condition. Um, in the winter, you know, we're about to hit winter here, so that will increasingly go up. What we supplement will have to go up just because there's less out there for them to browse on, and they're also maybe not um, exploring as far away from the barns in the winter because, you know, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they do... Uh, I, you know, we had a very, very wet spring here in Tennessee and the caregivers described it, you know, the elephants were out there just shoving grass in by the fistful. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, or the trunkful, I guess yeah. you could say. So yeah, they do a lot of foraging and browsing on their own. Um, and what we're supplementing is, is pretty nominal.
1: Right, right. And here's, a, so I'm sorry to throw these random questions at you, but, um, it just kind of, went in my mind how do they do in the snow i would just love to see that i would just love to see them in the snow
0: yeah so we don't get a ton of snow Mm -hmm. in tennessee especially like the part we're in um which makes me sad because i come from a place where we get a lot more snow (laughs) (laughs) but we we might get a dusting or so every year and what i always tell the kids is you know each elephant has a different reaction to snow just Mm -hmm. like people have You know, different reactions. And Mm -hmm. so my favorite example is we have an elephant named Minnie um, and Minnie spent 17 years in Canada. And we think that may have made her a little bit more adapted to the cold or a little bit more tolerant of the cold. She is the first one out of the barn on a cold day. um, She actually broke the ice on a frozen pond, obviously it was not a very thick layer of ice here Mm -hmm. in middle Tennessee, just a a small sheet and, and decided to go for a a polar plunge in the middle (laughs) of the winter. Uh, That swim did not last very long. She wasn't hanging out out there for an extended period. But like so many, you know, the cold doesn't seem to bother her all that Mm -hmm. much. Others, you know, they're a little less fond of it. Um, Mm -hmm. flora i think she's one of our african elephants i think she would prefer it to be sunny and 80 degrees every single day so um you know the cold the snow the the freezing temperatures again don't get those often but when we do she is not the happiest elephant (laughs) She's like, i need a blanket
1: get me in the barn now (laughs) yeah she's like the barn
0: is really great today i think i'm gonna stay in here i'm like all right flora do your thing
1: I know, it's so funny. So I, yeah, one of the things I saw on your website was uh, you don't house bulls, right? Bull elephant, male elephants. And can you just kind of explain to our listeners why?
0: Yeah, so we've only ever had one bull elephant, Ned, and I'll talk about him in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the reason is our facilities are designed for females. Like, we would need to implement bigger, stronger fencing and bigger, stronger barns, mm-hmm. if we were to get a bull. And um, as you know, we're always planning for the future, planning on how we can expand or reconfigure our habitats. And so bulls are something we've been talking about lately is, you know, is that in our future? Um, I would say the other side of that, and as I'm sure you're aware, you know, the population of captive elephants is really skewed toward females. You've got mm-hmm. a lot more females in captivity than bull elephants. so a lot of that is just the nature of it um you know we've been offered a lot more females than bull elephants it just seems like bulls don't come up for retirement i guess you could say nearly as often as the females do right
1: um, right the
0: one special yeah the one special case we had was an elephant named ned um and he was a bull elephant he was actually supposed to come to our sanctuary get a little bit healthier and then go to PAWS Performing Animal Welfare Society in California. They actually have facilities to house bull elephants. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, Ned was really, really ill, and so he just never recovered. And so he spent the last about six months of his life here with us. Again, very special case um, and, you know, special circumstances that allowed us to, to accept him. But if we were going to accept bulls in the future, we've got some retrofitting to do, you could
1: say. All right. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're big and they're strong, and sometimes they get angry when they're (laughs) must. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah. So totally different management style. Totally stronger everything. I mean, we've got some strong girls here, but
1: you Mm -hmm, know, mm bulls are a
0: whole other level.
1: So, you know, working there. Do you have any favorite elephant stories?
0: Man, I got all kinds of favorite (laughs) elephant
1: stories. How much time do we have? Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you want to just sit here the rest of the day. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say all of my favorite stories just revolve around like each of the girls' unique personalities and and unique quirks. So, like Minnie breaking the ice in the in the mm-hmm. pond is one of my favorite stories. Um, anytime the caregivers tell me about reunions between different groups of elephants um, is really favorite. One that's coming to mind is a is a story about Sukari. So Sukari came to us from the Nashville Zoo in 2015. She's an African savanna elephant, um, and so she should, you know, be out there being a little hard on her habitat as African savanna elephants are. You know, pushing down trees and digging mud wallows and and all of those things. Um, But it's something she hasn't done before, so. She has been here, like I said, since 2015, she's watched Flora and Tangie out there knocking down trees and, and doing all of those fun elephant things. And Sukari is slowly working her way up to knocking down her first tree. We're all very excited about it. Um, she kind of walks around and she pushes on them and then they kind of bounce back at her. And so she gets a little nervous (laughs) and, and backs away. Um, so, we're all hopeful very soon she'll be knocking down her first pine trees. We have lots and lots of pine trees out here at the sanctuary. So just seeing her growth and like her curiosity has been really fun. Um, Mm -hmm. Trying to think of other stories. Any story about Flora is my favorite. We call her Hurricane Flora (laughs) because she just like leaves a path of felled trees in her wake. And the caregivers say, you can always tell like what? Flora's next victim is because she goes and she tusks off all the bark around mm-hmm. the middle of the tree, and that's like I'm coming for you next. So they'll see that, and like, all right, say la vie, you're you're going down in a, in a couple of days. So just her. Um, Yeah, her big personality.
1: Yeah, yeah, one of my favorites. They they do. They all have personalities. I know we're we're closing in on an hour, so I just got a couple more questions for you, and I'll I'll let you go. I know you you're you're very busy, so thank you again (laughs) for agreeing to do this. So one of the questions I always like to ask our guests, and you know, it's harkens back to when I before I even started this podcast, and I was in a scientific conference, and we were talking about the morality of conserving endangered species and uh, one of my favorite scientists got up and said he didn't think we had a moral obligation that we're part of nature and you know we're the dominant species let the cards fall where they may and and i strongly disagreed with him still respect them still love He was a brilliant scientist but i just think that was a a little uh not okay with me anyway so i like to ask this question of all my guests (laughs) and that is in your opinion and i've gotten some different answers and some surprising answers but we're the dominant species, homo sapien. Do we have a moral obligation to not only spend the money required, but fight and conserve all these animals that we share this planet with?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, my opinion is, yeah, we absolutely have a moral obligation because we are a big part of the reason, or we are a big part of the problem. The the reason all of these species are facing this crisis, Uh um, yeah, we're a part of nature and we're part of the ecosystem, but I think we've uh, taken more of our fair share and, um, you know, we've done more damage to the planet than, you know, you could argue any other animal species certainly has done. So in that sense, we're really, if we were just part of nature, you know, nature is an incredible thing. Ecosystems are an incredible thing, the way they can balance themselves, and yet they can't seem to figure out how to... Uh, balance the impact of humans. So just that alone, the outsized impact we have um, to me means, you know, we have a moral obligation to, to find that balance and help nature out because we're, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being so destructive. That's a, that's a little dark, but <laughs> I, I honestly, it really, is, you it know, is. you know, we, we made this mess and it's our um, obligation to clean it up.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good, beautiful answer. Thank you. And I, you know, I can't agree with you more that, you know, we need to do more for these animals. So I guess the final question is how can our listeners help, you know, not only you, but the work that the elephant sanctuary is doing.
0: Um, so we uh, always tell people, you know, elephants can't speak for themselves. Of course, no, ele- no animal can. So just being an advocate, being a voice for elephants or, or for any animal that you're passionate about um specifically that i mean i think that goes the same for the sanctuary specifically is if you um like what we're doing if you enjoy our work sharing that with a friend with a family member is extremely helpful Um, going back to you know how much does it cost to run the sanctuary we are entirely donor funded we're a nonprofit organization so we really rely on our our donors all over the world to believe in our work and to support our work Um, you know, whether that be financially or whether that be by just passing on our story to someone else. Um, If I was going to make like a a broader call to action, I would say something else we we really stress at the sanctuary is um, just all of our, roles and general sustainability so all of us can do more to to make smarter daily choices and, and be better consumers, not just for elephants, but just like for the entire, you know, ecosystem for the entire planet. So um always uh, you know, strongly advocate for people to to be more aware in their daily lives, you know, as they're going about, you know, doing their thing. Also, you know, how how does my choice affect others, you know, other people, other plants, other animals. So that's what I'll say.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, that's good. And and so uh, th- can you say the website again for our listeners?
0: Sure. It's very easy to remember. It's <laughs> Elephants.com, best domain that's name so hard. in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, How did you get that domain name? <laughs>
0: so it's actually a really great story. The son of one of our very first supporters, she was on our board from day one, um, you know, this was 1995 before the internet was even, you know, what it is today. He's like, you know, right. I think this is going to be important. So he bought elephants.com as a gift for his mother and we have had that's it amazing. ever since. So that's some amazing that's, foresight.
1: That's awesome. And the web cameras are up there. You can get bios on all the elephants. Uh, joy you know joy owens the education manager for the elephant sanctuary in tennessee thank you i i know you squeezed me in you've got a class coming up here in 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 a few minutes so i gotta let you go but you know thank you so much and maybe we'll check back in 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 the future to see how the elephants are doing and, and how you're doing there in tennessee
0: yeah absolutely thanks for for having me on and it was a really enjoyable conversation
1: all right thank you take care